As we have been talking uh, this whole uh, summer quarter here, pretty much, it's been on uh, renewing your spiritual life. And we've gone over many, many aspects of this uh, in this class that was brought out in this book that I've been going through. And uh, we have reached the last lesson today. Now, whether or not we get through this lesson today is a different story, but this is the last lesson out of the book. <clears throat> and, uh, and so as we think about this, and we think about the aspect of coming to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, because that's where this, uh, this particular book that I've been uh, going out of was uh, going through the book of Deuteronomy in certain aspects and pulling out different things as far as spiritual renewal because the whole book of Deuteronomy had to do with renewing uh, uh, their thought process, their, their spiritual life, and, and as they prepare to go in to the promised land. <clears throat> and so as they are preparing to go into this promised land, as Moses continues to, as he finishes up his speeches uh, to them, the, you can kind of sense or get that sense of feeling from the Israelites here as they are winding down and, and knowing that here it is. We've come to the end of, of Moses' uh, sermons here. We're about to, to go and, and take over this land. That they might be a little anxious. They might be a little bit nervous because not only are they about to go over and, and take over this land, in uh, you know in, in war as far as going over and fighting for it, now God will be with them, but as they uh, know as well, their leader Moses will not be with them as they cross over the Jordan. So <clears throat> this is it's exciting, but it's nervous for them at the same time because here we have. Them going, you're finishing it up this this these lessons from Moses and going over to cross over, but yet Moses isn't going with them. Why is Moses not going with them? Anybody know? Uh, uh, go ahead, Jeremy. <laughs> Numbers chapter twenty in the first thirteen verses. There, uh, we have this account. So. Let us, uh, let us go through this. Can I get somebody to... I know it's a rather lengthy reading. We've got 13 verses here. We're in Numbers chapter 20. That's Numbers, not Moses. Chapter 20. Uh, in the first 13 verses. All right. Thank you, Jim, for reading that. Once again, I apologize for it being such a lengthy reading, but I thought it brought out several good points. Uh one of the things uh, that I thought about as I was reading over this for this lesson, and I just wanted to, to pull it out because it was something that, that came to mind for me, is here we have, and this isn't long after they left the, the land of Egypt, <clears throat> after uh, they were complaining, if you remember, as they were in the land of Egypt, and they were wanting the Pharaoh's hand to be lifted off of them. And so God brings in Moses to bring them up out of the land of Egypt. 
And they get out of the land of Egypt. Here they are, and they're, and they, and they're here in this, in this uh, wilderness, and they have no water. And so they complain once again. Here we have no water. And uh, I, I found it interesting because if you go over to Exodus chapter 17 uh, and you read about this, uh, this account as well in Exodus there, the idea on how the, the um, uh, where was that? And when Moses and, and Aaron had, had left, it brought forth more of the idea that the children of Israel <laughs> were close to stoning them. They were so upset and so mad because they had brought them into this place, and here they think they're going to die. But yet, they wanted to be out of the other place. And yet, here they are in this place, and they're complaining again. They're in a better place. They're out of the, the, the uh, slavery, pretty much, of Pharaoh, and they're in this place. But now they're complaining again. And, and what I was trying to bring up with this is that so many times, how many times have we prayed saying, oh, Lord, if you can just help me through and, and get out of this situation, and we get out of that situation, and we stop, and, and then we start complaining about the situation we're in now. You know, it might be a better situation, but yet we start complaining there. Once again, uh, just some, a side note there that, that had came to my mind uh, when I was reading through this and, and going over this for this lesson was that, you know, how many times have we done that in, in, in our thought process as far as... Um, you know, getting out of a bad situation into a better situation, and yet we still continue to complain. But as we, the, the point of the, of the passage that I was trying to get out of it here was the aspect that Moses did not give God the, uh, the, the honor or the glory, did not hallow his name as, as my version has said it, and uh, Jim's version has said something else, and I was trying to remember what his had made mention. Right, and and on that note, uh, and I didn't do a whole lot of study on it because I, I just I didn't read Exodus 17 for this lesson until this morning on the way here actually, and it was in Exodus 17 that I it read that uh, Moses was to strike the rock, but in in Numbers here it talks about how that he was to speak to the rock, and so I was. I, like I said, I didn't do a whole lot of study on that aspect of it, but like Jim said, it was the aspect that must we bring this water from this rock as if Moses and Aaron had anything to do with the fact that water was going to come out of that rock. It was God that was going to have that water come out of that rock, and that was the idea of that, that um, Moses didn't hallow his name or give glory to God in this. And because of that, uh, there in... in uh, verse 12, it says that, or that God had made mention that Moses will not be leading the children of Israel into the promised land. Uh, any thoughts or comments on that before we go to look at one more other thing on this aspect? All right. Well, let's flip over to Deuteronomy chapter 3. And here we have at the beginning of Deuteronomy... And the aspect that I'm wanting to uh, pull out from this in the first 
or in chapters or in chapter three and verses twenty five and twenty six is that the thing that God had made mention of as far as him not or as far as Moses not leading them into the promised land was something that kind of bugged Moses. He wanted he wanted to to lead them into the promised land. Because as we see in Deuteronomy chapter 3 and verses 25 and 26, uh, we have Moses saying, I pray, let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains and and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. Now, here we have Moses once again asking, please let me cross over with them. Let me go with them over to this land. Um, And the verses following that, we see that um, the Lord had him go up onto the mountain and look over uh, uh, the the promised land had him actually see it, but as far as being there, leading them into the promised land, he did not, uh, still did not allow that. Uh, which another thing that had come to mind is that once again, when God makes a promise, He keeps it. And when God said, "You're not going to lead them," you're not going to lead them. <laughs> uh, yes, Karen. So. Going over all of this and, and understanding that uh, Moses was not going to be leading these uh, Israelites into the promised land uh, and understanding why. But uh, so here we have the, the Israelites, like I made mention of, as they come to the end of Moses speaking to them uh, before they, they go and take over the promised land. With this uncertainty and with this uh, um, nervousness, I guess you can say, from the Israelites, Moses leaves them with a particular passage in Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 27. So here we have Moses reminding them, the eternal God is your refuge. And then going on into the aspect of and underneath are the everlasting arms. In thinking about this with the the Israelite people, we can see how that can that can um, give them strength, reminding them that uh, the eternal God is going to be the one that's that's going to be your refuge, reminding them that it is. Uh, his everlasting arms that are underneath them. But how can this be relevant to us today as Christians when we think about uh, this passage? I mean, do we as well as certain times as we go throughout our life, do we come up on uncertain times, come up on uh, struggles and hardships that, that we might come into as well? Absolutely. And that's the idea here, is that when we do go through those hard times, it is God's uh, uh, 
everlasting arms that are underneath us, that are lifting us up and, and continuing on in this aspect. Um, because, once again, we know uh, the promised land is worth it. We know uh, that if we continue on and continue going, that it is worth it. Uh, we might run into struggles, but we know that God is there. He is going to help us. Uh, <clears throat> and even if if someone that we know uh, uh, has let us down or someone we know has has um, put us away, I guess you can say, or what have you, you know, we know that God is still there, and God will help us. So as we think about this verse, I wanted to uh, spend some time looking at the at a, the aspects here as far as being underneath the everlasting arms. <clears throat> so, as far as being underneath, what what do you feel like that that he's referencing here as far as underneath foundation? There you go. Uh, I mean, all people really want to know the underlying meaning of life. You know, what, what, what is there? And Moses said that life is undergirded by the promise of God, by the promise of God's care, and that pleasing him is the purpose behind man's existence. Um, and here we have the Israelites who had felt hopeless because without their leader Moses leading them into the promised land, I, Moses assures them that God will be with them. Because remember, who ultimately was was leading them? I mean, yes, Moses was there as their uh, earthly leader, I guess you can say, but who was really leading them? God, exactly. And here we have Moses trying to remind the children of Israel that it is God. God is still there. He's still going to lead you. Uh, and we realize that Joshua is the one that takes over this aspect as far as lead them into the promised land and taking over the promised land. But here we have Moses who had been uh, uh, leading them for quite some time, reminding them that it is underneath uh, is, is God's everlasting arms. And sometimes we might feel like that, that we're walking a, a tightrope between earth and heaven, but yet it is, uh, but it is God who is our safety net uh, on that walk. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Absolutely. Very good comparison. Thank you, Jim. All right. So as we think about the underneath, the foundation, we get to the aspect of the arms. Now we're going to come back to everlasting. Don't, 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 don't get me wrong there. We're going to come back to that, but we're going to go to the arms because that's what's underneath. The arms here, first of all, gives us the idea or gives us the, the thought process of this is someone, you know, it, it, because when we think of arms, we think of, of a human uh, as far as holding us up. All right? But we also need to be 
aware that this is not like human arms, but they're powerful enough to to uh, withstand us uh, and not and not give out. Um, that's actually the aspect of the everlasting that I'm trying to get into there. But um, but the the arms in, in general are going to be more so pulling out or, or making us think of the aspect that this is someone who knows about us, who cares for us personally. Um, and as we think of the aspect of how that a young child might look towards a father or a mother that will be able to hold them and carry them through. Um, but in the same thought process, as far as the, uh, the, um, the, the arms holding us through is like a child with his father or mother. We also understand that we'll never outgrow uh, God's arms that will be holding us up. But once again, as we think about these arms, we have to understand as well that God is a spirit. And so these arms can only be seen through faith. But they are not uh, fleshly, uh, but are just as real and powerful uh, as the arms that we may think of in a, in a physical sense. All right, very good. And we'll get back to that in just a minute when we get into the everlasting aspect. <laughs> Must have been. <laughs> but, uh, but thank you, James. Anything else as far as the arms go before we get into the everlasting aspect? We understand that, yes, there is something underneath, and it is the arms of God. But it is the everlasting aspect of these arms that we understand will never get tired or will never uh, be weak. And let's just go ahead and go to uh, Exodus chapter 17. Exodus 17 and starting in verse 8 is the aspect that Janice was bringing out there. Um, and once again, here we have it. Is, isn't um, too long after they left um, Egypt, and we find uh, the Israelites being in battle with um, Amalek. Thank you. I was, I was reading the name, and I was sitting there thinking. <laughs> so they were in battle with the Amalekites. And so... As we look through this, I'm not going to uh, have us read the whole, whole thing here, but as we look through this, we find that in verse 9, Moses tells Joshua to go and choose some men to go, go out and fight with the Amalekites. Um, and so he did, and uh, it says that um, Moses, Aaron, and Hur, Ur, went up on the top of the hill and it points out the aspect that when that they had noticed that when Moses had lifted up his arms, uh, uh, that the Israelites would prevail against uh, the Amalekites. But as he had dropped his arms, that the Amalekites would start prevailing against the Israelites. And so it says there in verse, uh, starting in verse 12, 
that uh, Aaron and Ur had gotten the stone and put it up underneath him so that Moses could sit down. And then on one side, Aaron stood, and the other side, Ur stood, and they had lifted up the arms of Moses so that, and held them up so that he could, uh, or for Israel to continue to prevail against the Amalekites. And so when we think about that contrast as far as this battle with them, we think of the aspect of how that fleshly humans, our arms will get tired. And I tell you, as one that would often work with your hands above your head sometimes, it can get tiresome really, really quick if you're not used to it. Um, and, uh, you know, you, you know, shake that thing out before you can stick it back up there and all. But this is something that would have been uh, uh, pretty harsh as far as this, uh, for Moses. And uh, it, it didn't give me in detail, but I often thought about how did Aaron and Ur hold them up. I wondered if maybe because Moses was sitting down, if, if his arm was kind of sitting on their shoulders or what have you, because, you know, if, if Aaron and Ur was actually had their arms up, their arms would get tired as well. So I often wondered how that would work out, but, you know, not to try to belabor the point there, but the, the most, the, the thing that we're trying to get at is that his arms got tired. Even Moses' arms had gotten tired and couldn't hold up. But yet... God's arms won't get tired. They are everlasting. Yes, Jim? Absolutely. And thank you for pointing that out. Because it, you, as you read there in Exodus chapter 17, God even tells Moses to write it down. You know, it wasn't a question of whether or not Moses thought it was important or not. God said it was important. He said, write it down, present it before uh, Joshua, because Joshua was down there fighting the battle. I doubt he was looking up there, is Moses' arms up? <laughs> so it, he didn't know really anything about it until after the battle was over. And so absolutely, um, they, would, they would have good uh, memory of this and, and understanding as uh, Moses ends up this, this book of Deuteronomy before they go in and take over the land. So... With God's help, we realize that no earthly burden is too great and no problem is too big to solve. And I, once again, I jumped ahead of myself talking about how that we'll never outgrow his arms as what a child might outgrow as far as uh, being too big to hold. I know uh, sometimes Rachel will come up to me sometimes and say, pick me up, pick me up. All right, <laughs> knowing that it's my last, and I, you know, I want to hold on to her as long as I can. I'll try to my best sometimes, but it's really important. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I can only imagine with Andrew. But uh, I know Kelly sometimes will sit there and come up, and she'll she'll just come over and sit in my lap sometimes. Go, oh, <laughs> you know, they they get a little bigger. It's a little harder to hold them, but in, in that thought process, though, that. God will never outgrow God's arms. We'll never get too, too big for him to pick us up and to carry us. But yet, his everlasting arms will be with us. Any thoughts or comments? Oh, we're doing really good. I really didn't think I was going to finish this lesson today. But uh, 
He's also comment so far as far as underneath the everlasting arms of God. And it could, you're just thinking about that a little bit more, it could be uh, part of God's reasoning behind that might have been also in the aspect of Moses' mind to understand that, hey, I can't do this alone. He had to have people holding up his arms to help him. And even Moses had to have help. And so, I mean, maybe that was part of the reason. I don't really know. And you're just, I always find it interesting in the aspect when you talk about Moses and, and especially when you go back to uh, when God had spoke to Moses and asked him to go into the land of, of Egypt to, to lead you know, the Israelites out of the land of Egypt. And Moses sitting there talking with God and, and starts pulling up these complaint or these uh, reasons on why he shouldn't be their leader. And one of the things was is that I'm not a good speaker. And so God tells him, says, well, here comes your brother Aaron. He can speak for you. But yet, how many times did Aaron speak for him? <laughs> I mean, many times Moses the one that did a lot of the speaking. Uh, but yeah, just side noodle information, as Jim would say. There's no charge for that one. Uh, but as we finish up, though, and, uh, and we think about how Moses had, had finished up these speakings, and we were finishing up the book of Deuteronomy here, in chapter 34 of Deuteronomy, we find where Moses goes up on top of the mountain. I'm not about to try to pronounce it. Uh, <laughs> But he goes up on top of this mountain, and uh, and ultimately uh, dies there. And God ultimately buries him, and it even points out the aspect that nobody knew where the grave of Moses was at. Uh, nobody knew where he was buried or anything else. But he had climbed up on that mountain, and as the children of Israel saw him climbing up. They would know that they would never see him. As this 120-year-old man climbed up this mountain, he would know that he would never come down, which at 120 years old, if I was able to start climbing a mountain, I think I'd be pretty happy that I wouldn't come down. <laughs> but no. Um, so in this aspect, as he's climbing up the mountain, he knows that he'll never come down. They know he'll never come down, but yet he left them with this idea that the everlasting arms of God will be with them. And you know, you brought out a point that I never really thought about as far as the Mount of Transfiguration, because didn't Elijah as well didn't have a per se grave that nobody yeah, could mm-hmm. took it up by a whirlwind. And uh, something I never thought about, Jim, as far as the people that had appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration not actually having a particular grave for people to worship at. Even Jesus didn't have a... Very good. Awesome. Any other thoughts or comments? All right, well, class is dismissed.